Hi, I'm Robin Hershkowitz. I'm one of the co-producers of Books Aren't Dead. In this episode, feminist writer, editor, and podcaster Carmen Rios interviews the authors of a new book for young readers and their families titled Intersection Allies, We Make Room for All. This was recorded at a live reading at Skylight Books in Los Angeles with authors and academics Chelsea Johnson, LaToya Council, and Carolyn Choi. The authors of Intersection Allies are founders and members of the CLC Collective, which is a partnership of three women of color scholars committed to publishing creative, relatable, and engaging sociology for all ages. Chelsea Johnson holds a PhD in sociology from the University of Southern California. LaToya Council is a PhD candidate in sociology at the University of Southern California. Carolyn Choi is also a PhD candidate in sociology at the University of Southern California. Intersection Allies, We Make Room for All features a forward by Kimberly Crenshaw and illustration by Ashley Sale Smith. Carmen Rios is currently the digital managing editor at Ms. Magazine and the host of Bitch Media's Propaganda Podcast. We hope you enjoy the episodes and its engagement with questions of theory, pedagogy, activism, and literature. Witness the lives of a bold group of friends. If one is in need, another defends. Age is one trait that each of them share. But kids' lives are unique, as you'll soon be aware. Each child has a story and their own point of view, filled with passion and power, just like My name is Alejandra, but I go by Ali. I use a chair, but it doesn't define me. Instead, it allows me to zip glide and play. When I need to get through, my friends help make a way. Where there's room for some, we make room for all. Friends can be allies, no matter how small. All right, so hi everyone. I'm Carmen, the managing digital editor at Ms. And I am here with the entire crew behind Intersection Allies, We Make Room for All, this incredible feminist children's book. And I'm gonna go ahead and let you all introduce yourselves because I wanna let folks know too, like sort of your academic background and maybe even how you came to the project, how you met, that kind of stuff. So yeah. Go for it. Okay, my name is Chelsea Johnson. I have a PhD in sociology from the University of Southern California, and now I work as a user researcher at LinkedIn. Ooh, very fun. Hi everyone, my name is Carolyn Choi, um, and I'm a PhD candidate at USC, where I met these lovely ladies. And um, I'm still in school. (laughs) (laughs) Still slugging through. Hi everyone, my name is LaToya Council, I'm also a PhD candidate at the University of Southern California, and um, I'm also still in school. So. Ooh, yeah. you're the only grad out of the... Yeah, and I'm fresh. <laughs> <laughs> you're the proof for them that there's light at the end of the PhD tunnel. <laughs> well, I, I love the book, I'm so excited that the book finally exists, um, and yeah, I'm really, I know you've probably told this story like a zillion times, but what's sort of the inception story behind the book? How did it come to be that three PhD candidates decided to write a children's book about feminist theory? It's actually funny because um, we were having two conversations in two separate spaces at the same time and they just collided together. So about 2017, Carolyn and I were on a plane. We actually were on the same flight to our sociologist for Women in Society conference. And we were just talking about intersectionality and just how it was just in the academy. And we just said, we wanna write a 
children's book on intersectionality. I was half joking. I, I was <laughs> serious about it. But we said, if we're going to do this, we got to bring Chelsea in on it because this is her field, her field as well. She'll be all over it. So we met up at the conference. We told Chelsea about it and she got on board and it was still wasn't real. It was still like a kind of like a fun joke. But yeah, let's see if we can actually do this. While that conversation was happening, Chelsea and Carolyn were at the Women's March um, in Los Angeles, and they were noticing how ideas about social justice and feminism still wasn't using an intersectional mm. lens to talk about women's issues, and such as the equal pay gap and whatnot, me, hashtag me too. And so there, they were like, you know, let's do something about it. So we brought our heads together. We were like, let's get out of the ivory tower and break this down for households, families, communities, and non-academics and just everyday folk who want to talk about intersectionality. Yeah. Awesome. Well, and then, um, so why a children's book? Like, why was that sort of the first, why was that the thought that came to mind when you realized that, you know, folks everywhere really needed a better grasp of these concepts outside of academia? Well, so much of what we're writing in academia and how we're trained to write is to use all of this jargon that's mm. like super unintelligible, um, almost as a way to just like compete in academia. And so writing for children really was a way of forcing ourselves to break down what do we really mean? Um, not just for kids, like writing for kids like forces you to do that, but also so much of um, the world like doesn't learn about intersectionality in school or like that's something that was like big when we were in undergrad, but like wasn't for my parents who are now grandparents who are spending time with kids. So writing for kids was a way to do that, um, to educate entire households and also like to break down like these tough words for English language learners mm. who are also uh, who have a lot to gain um, from engaging with intersectional frameworks in order to advocate for themselves. So writing for children was for children, but also for adults who are hearing this word as they're like going on Facebook or they're with colleagues and like want to be able to engage with it, but don't know how to ask. So the book is like really for that. Awesome. Well, and I'm, I'm curious too. I love, I love the idea of a children's book being like an educational tool for a whole household. I think that that, and that was totally what I was thinking about when I was like, what am I going to ask them about? I kept thinking about public scholarship, mm -hmm. this idea that, you know, we, and we work with so many scholars here at Ms. to write pieces for the magazine or the website that are, you know, written in common folk language that people can actually engage with and that break down these concepts and bring them to life for folks outside of academia. But this does take it to that really bare, sort of, you know, that basics level of a 101 introductory course that anyone can access. How did you decide, like once you decided we're off, we're running, we're making this children's book, this is happening, how did you decide what to include and how to move forward and like what stories to tell and you know, how did you sort of come to put the plot together of the book? So it started with a literature review, really, <laughs> which we included in the back of the book. Just some of them are works cited, but also on the website, you can go and see some of the works that inspired um, intersectionalized narratives and character narratives. And a lot of those stories were inspired by researchers that we know mm. um, who do work with children. So, for example, um, Gloria's page, she's street vending with her mom. And one of our 
like mentor colleagues, Amira Strata, her work was on that, and street children who street vend with their parents in Los Angeles. So it was a way of sort of bringing to life some of the, the scholarship and some of the scholars that we interact with every day um, and find inspiration from in a more like vibrant, engaging, colorful way. Like, I feel like I've seen sort of a booming feminist children's world. You know, I feel like there's Kazoo Magazine now, which is basically, you know, Ms. Magazine for the younger set. And there's so many amazing children's books coming out by really prominent feminist writers and just exploring sort of actual deep feminism, right? Like beyond like, you know, oh, here's a girl. She wears pants too. She likes to climb trees. But books that are really digging into gender justice and um and you know we had in ms in the first issue of ms and in the many years that ms was out when it first started we had stories for free children and one of the reasons i was so glad to be connected to you all um and do this podcast with you all is because i feel like this is an extension of that legacy of you know using children's literature to really get kids started young understanding that maybe they can challenge what feels unfair or that the feelings that they're having are valid and also just to sort of explore that big world out there in a feminist perspective versus what they're normally spoon-fed which is gender socialization and all this stuff that takes years to unpack after it's done Mm -hmm. um and i'm i'm curious you know what is your vision for what intersection allies means sure 10 years from now but i'm i'm thinking even like 20 30 50 like what do you hope the generation of kids reading this book how do you hope it sort of shapes that their next steps and where they're going to go from here so one thing that we hope intersection allies does is make visible social structure Um, is make visible how race, class, gender, citizenship, religion are encoded in our laws and in our values and our policies. Um, And so what we hope that this helps do is um, make children informed voters, informed volunteers, informed activists, and informed allies from now and throughout the life course. I think social structure and systems, when we talk about like systemic racism, systemic patriarchy, it's really difficult to see. And so like the refrain, where there's room for some, we make room for all. Um, what our intention there was to do is to make visible social structure and that we can make room by changing the way that we vote, that we think about things, that we hire. Um, Kids will all be doing those things, like if not now, then in the future. And that's where we see this really making an impact. Awesome. Well, and I mean, you talked too about this idea that you all learned intersectionality in undergrad. I did too. But this idea that there was a generation that didn't have that concept, that framework to work within, um, or at least have the name for it. Right. What do you think the impact would have been of having having learned that earlier? Because I feel like intersectionality must mean a lot to the three of you if you wanted to literally devote this book to it and really focus on making it into the mainstream. So I'm I'm just sort of curious, like in your visioning, what do you think, how do you think things would have been different for you on that individual level if you had had intersection allies as a kid? You know, it's interesting. We didn't really like talk about this when we wrote our bios in the back of the book, but I feel like it kind of like synthesizes that. Um, so like what my bio talks about, like I grew up as like one of the only black girls in my classrooms. 
and just like the way that beauty was talked about, mm. what I was learning in school, just not including my history. Um, there wasn't social media anywhere for me to like, like <laughs> black girl magic, but like yeah. had I had that framework, I think I would have had a much stronger sense of self just navigating K through 12. And like Spellman sort of like undid and helped with all of that when I got to college. Um, but I think I would have been much better equipped to sort of see like, in the situations where I was feeling uncomfortable or I was feeling marginalized or like I needed to advocate for myself, I would have had the language to talk about that much earlier. You guys want to share too? I feel like we sort of talked about that without talking about that. Uh, yeah, so I would say definitely um, if I would have been exposed to this type of literature as a child, it would, it would have been great to have that toolkit, right? But also it speaks to just like, right, my personal experiences when I, you know, like not having that literature and knowing that I can help put that literature there for the next generation. So that's a plus for that as well. Um, I also think in terms of like previous generations, I think, you know, like a big thing in like the black feminist tradition is like the personal is political. Yeah. So even if there was an intersectionality, right, which we're so thankful it's for, yay, Kim, Dr. Crenshaw. Um, but personal has always been political. And so those relying on those personal experiences, kind of what Chelsea was saying, does kind of did help me prepare for the future and just having, being in a family where I was able to express those ideas. And so I would say, thank goodness that the book is here, thank goodness intersectionality is here, thank goodness we're starting to talk about it more. Um, but there is room to continue, like even like even if that space isn't there, like relying on your personal experiences and just knowing that those experiences are gonna prepare you for the future and what your household can teach you. Pedagogies of the home, um, Dr. Bernal says that a lot, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so to start over. Um, <laughs> so yeah, like, um, I wanted to, like, so some of the early conversations we were having was, um, about, like, what was limiting in children's literature growing up, which was, like, not seeing ourselves, you know, that was kind of a, a big thing, um, and not having, like, you know, she heroes and role models, um, but, you know, like, I think, I think, like, beyond that, um, we were also kind of, um, talking about I mean those those like those there now there are children's books with like diverse you know um, protagonists and stuff like that but you know we wanted to like push this book a little further um, and but to add to what Carolyn was saying which is so important you're right we didn't have children's books growing up I mean I might have had like a couple I don't but I, don't, I didn't have that many it was very white mainstream it's a is for Apple, Pillar. <laughs> I think that's about it. Yeah. Well, there's more. Chicka chicka boom, boom chicka boom. But nothing that says you're present, you're here. Yeah. And like, I think, you know, when we're showing this book to some of our friends, like, they really appreciated um, how meticulous we were with the details um, because, like, we really tried to. Um, have the language reflected accurately, like have the, um, you know, like. Uh, have like cultural that. touch points right. too. Right. So like some of the art that you notice in the book or some of the jewelry that you see on that characters are wearing or like 
Dakota with her ribbon skirt. Like, those are all things that we reached out to friends for that were like, what did you not have mm -hmm. as a kid? Because we've got three experiences and that's it. Um, so it was really important to us was to like talk to scholars from a bunch of different backgrounds, talk to friends from a bunch of different backgrounds, and ask them like, what, what did you wish you had and what, like how can we make that visible to you? Mm -hmm. So the characters are really a synthesis of like a whole bunch of people's longings um, since childhood. Mm. So it took a village. It took, took a village. It took a village. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, and, you know, I love that there are resources for parents in the book. Um, that also sort of makes me think about these stories for free children that Ms. used to publish sort of next to articles for parents that were about, you know, how to parent without gender expectations or how to parent beyond the binary. What would you say are some of the key resources in the book for the parents? Okay, so the parenting beyond the binary one, for sure. So we have um, definitions of sex and gender, the differences between sex and gender, mm. and also why pronouns matter. Um, so that is like... That's something I never had growing up um, that I think is like very useful with examples from like how would a character in the book, um, how would they prefer to be referred to and then asking children and their parents to think about that. Um, and alongside that we have a, a discussion activity that's like um, if you could be named anything, if you could choose your name, what would it be? Which is like a very implicit, um, subtle way of starting to think about like how you see yourself and the ways that that might be tied up with gender and gender that was assigned to you at birth um, without your consent and how you might push back against that um, with how you think about yourself and what you want to be called. So that one for mm -hmm. sure. And then um, second to that, I think like one of the resources that I'm really proud of is um, the definition of solidarity. So if you notice in the book, um, Dakota, the indigenous character, it's a it's a reference to Standing Rock, which was a major crisis at the time that we were writing the book. And we have our African-American child, Nia, sitting there hugging her, um, because Flint is also still an ongoing crisis. Yeah. Um, and so not just defining what solidarity means, but also tying that back to how it's demonstrated in the book and seeing how people who have potentially very different like geog geographical constraints or um, cultural meanings behind the vulnerabilities that they're feeling at a certain time can see parallels between their experiences and unite on that shared front of water safety and water security. Mm -hmm. um, so that one I think is a really like excellent way, if I do say so myself, of, um, of demonstrating that to parents and having their kids think about like, okay, my friend may be very different from me, but like what are some of the what are some of the concerns that unite us and how can we form an allyship in order to advocate for us as a collective mm -hmm. um, and not just like as a single issue cause? Um, it's so clear too how your feminist scholarship has shaped this book, how this is a form of public scholarship for entire families. How has writing this book shaped your scholarship? Do you want to take it? Oh, sure, I'll, I'll take it. Um, for me, I, it has helped me grown as a scholar actually um you know studying intersectionality since undergrad sometimes you feel like well for me i felt like oh i know this like i got this i'm i'm still learning but i got the gist of race class gender hierarchy structures but i still didn't recognize my um some biases that i had or some or in in terms of biases coming from not knowing mm -hmm. thinking you know mm -hmm. but not knowing 
And so for me, one of my, I love all the characters, but my favorite, favorite character that really taught me something was Kate's character. Um, Non-binary skirts and frills are cute, I suppose, but my superhero cape is more Kate than those bows because I was challenged on my thinking about gender, pronouns, um, learning more. And I think for me to call myself an intersectional feminist social justice scholar, you gotta be challenged and you gotta be ready to just go into the unknown and learn about different things to just become a better person and a better scholar. And so that's how it's helped my work. I come to my own work with new eyes, new lens, just asking different questions and realizing that there's some biases there because I don't know. And now that I know those, those biases are going away or those not knowing understanding. So I love it. It's been great. Yay. Anyone else? Um, I would say that it's helped my scholarship in terms of making it be more of a collective process. Mm -hmm. So a lot of writing in academia is just like you in a room by yourself. It's really <laughs> lonely. Um, and what this has taught me is like when you're in a room with one, two other people, the ideas that you have are so much stronger. And so now like beyond the book, Carolyn and I and Latoya and I, like, they see basically everything I write and turn in. Mm. Um, and so, like, maybe, you know, like, future book based on dissertation will have my name on it, but it'll be a product of, of two other sister thinkers who have, like, challenged me to think differently, um, who've put into practice that, like, like intersectional feminism is collaborative. Mm -hmm. And... You know, it, my work is stronger for it, and I, I hope you guys feel the same. I feel like we both do that for each other, and that sort of those pathways of communication are like way broader open versus like, can you please help me with this thing? It's like <laughs> I think a mutual expectation we have of each other now as like as a collective and as like sister thinkers. So I think um, you know, like we've always kind of complained to each other how like writing a dissertation sometimes your committee members won't, won't even read it and so mm. like like I mean it's a really not not only is it a solitary process but you know it's not um read by many you know it's not accessible like it's all it's always covered in jargon and so um this really pushed us to like be able to um like make theory applicable and accessible to to everyone and so like you know in our in our next books and this current book like our research is in there you know and we talk we study like bodies we study um transnational families and so like to be able to like communicate our ideas and our our thinking around inequality um and and, and social justice um, and to like be able to produce something where children you know like children understand this and children see this and we're making like these structures visible to them um, is just so meaningful you know and, and and super special and like to be able to like do this together like Chelsea said um, is um, also like like a really incredible experience and so yeah like I want to like I think like all academia should be very collaborative and like mm -hmm. to to be able to yeah and like continue to and I think like this is just really one of the ways in which like we can we can do more public scholarship um to like yeah 
bring the spirit of collaboration together. So I think that made sense. I think that was great. Okay. Okay. Beautiful. Oh. But one thing that you mentioned, though, I think is super important, especially to us as three women of color whose research is about communities of color. Mm. Um, so a lot of like I don't know, it's like a social justice thing. It's like we spend time, hours and hours and hours of people's time of them telling us their life stories in a really vulnerable, intimate way. And then you write it up for a dissertation and then it goes in a library or often behind like restricted access journals. And the people whose like lives our work is based on can so rarely access that. Mm. Um, and like our work is analyzing that and that's unfair. Like for, yeah. for us to get a PhD based on the experiences of people and they don't get to see right. what we wrote about exactly. them. Um, or it's like unintelligible to them or it's like too difficult to find. And so like public sociology for us is like a moral imperative. Mm. And I know like a lot of our colleagues, they don't feel that way because maybe they're not responsible to the communities that they're studying or they don't live within them, but the three of us do. Like we have to face people and like, like not just that, but like if people can't learn from or take or use your analysis, then like what's it there for? Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, is it, you have to ask yourself that question, like, is this just about prestige for us? Like, no, like, we built this on the backs of, like, so many generations of women of color scholars and the people that we spent time talking to. And so, like, writing at the most basic common denominator, um, building off of, like, not just our work, but also, like, the literature that our work is built off of. Um, is a way of just doing justice and gratitude to all of the people whose experiences and whose lives and whose livelihoods built up that work. How has the Academy responded to the book? Like, do you feel like this is something that's being celebrated by the scholars that maybe mentored you or sort of the faculty and staff? I know that sometimes there's resistance to public scholarship at that really high level of academia and I'm wondering sort of what reactions you've fielded from that ivory tower community uh mixed reactions <laughs> you say very mixed yes who's gonna be walking with I know yeah. well <laughs> really some great no. yeah some great some on board and some resistant um some people are like, yeah, this is great. We're, we're with it. We support you. Um, but and there's been, and just the some, after the fact, giving yeah. support. There you go. That's you know, nice there's one. some people that we like <laughs> had, to, <laughs> had to keep things from until things were in a pipeline. And then, you know, came around when it came out, you know, there's that. But also, like, I think one thing that we talked about, like, before the book was out and as we were planning it is that we want this to be something that bridges academia and the public. Mm. So not that we're abandoning academia, um, we're just building a bridge. So, for example, like, we've done conference presentations about the book in academic settings or on the theory behind the book um, and, like, why writing for children matters to so thinking about standpoint theory feminist theory and how that applies to children and bringing those conversations into the academy so not that not the book 
existing on its own, but the book being an example of um, feminist theory at work. So those conversations have been really generative and they participate in ongoing conversations mm -hmm. that are happening in the academy at that level. Mm. I'm also now getting excited thinking that like in 10 or 15 years, someone can get their dissertation studying like the impact of feminist children's literature and it'll be, it'll be a full be circle for you guys. What I'm interested in too is sort of where the book fits. Like we are in this moment, you know, where there's, you guys are working with Dottier Press. It's literally the reason it exists is to fill gaps in feminist literature, which already feels an entire world away from the old feminist literature world where it was like, there's one place to go where someone might publish or read this work. You know, there's special bookstores and there's special publishers. And now there's a lot of mainstreaming of feminist ideas out there. Um, what do you see as the companions to Intersection Allies right now in the media landscape, like for children and for parents? What do you feel like are some of the the ways in which it can interact with the other stuff that's swirling out there. Okay, so you already mentioned Kazoo. Yeah. Definitely Ms. Magazine. <laughs> well, yeah, Ms. too. But, yeah. like, one thing that I thought was, like, super awesome about Kazoo um, is how, like, all of the all of the people who are like interviewed or like who contributed to the book are um, depicted as themselves as children mm. um, and something about that was like just totally I hadn't thought about it that way it was totally revolutionary to me um, and I think intersectionality or intersection allies is really parallel to that in that it's like Focusing on children as they are and the way that children today already as kids are experiencing um, the world and are running mm -hmm. up against social problems um, by virtue of their race or by virtue of their class status. And I think Kazoo really does that well um, in a different way, but sort of brings that into the conversation. Um, Another book, so there's so many books that are out now that weren't out when we were writing the book, but the big book that was out when we were writing the book was A.S. for Activist. Mm. That was like the top of everything, and it was like the go-to social justice book at the time. And one thing that I think Intersection Allies does that complements that book, but does it differently, is A.S. for Activist is like all in third person. Um, and intersectionalities is all in first person so it's mm. like allowing people to sort of step into the experience as a of a child um, but one thing I think AAs for Activists does really well is that it showcases a variety of different social movements that are happening and intersectionalities also does that it like helps you think about um, the environment and climate change and global warming it helps you think about Black Lives Matter it helps you think about um, refugee crises, which are all present, but thinking about how kids experience that yeah. on the everyday. Like, these aren't things that just adults experience. Like, we know that. We have, like, I mean, think of what's happening on the border. That's all about kids, right? So, like, kids are experiencing that every day. And I think thinking about things in the first person is a great way to complement sort of this broader educational understanding of, like, all of the different issues or many different issues that are happening at one time. And yeah. I'll also say, like, in the education realm, in terms of, like, the changes that we're seeing in K-12 through education and the policies that are around that and um, moving, like, where public education isn't as seen as something where they're trying to, like, make it smaller, right? It's just, like, there's all these conversations and 
Washington DC around K through 12 education. So I think that we are putting ourselves in that conversation as well, um, where we mentioned that this book is also great for English as second language learners as well. And so we could, because we're using a rhyming scheme, so we're in that conversation as well in terms yeah. of, we are, at, we are providing ways to improve, help keep K through 12 education, this public space education, a more inclusive space we're providing and we're giving it to that regard as well. So we're pushing there as well. Also, any other? Awesome. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, those are those are all of my questions. I, is there anything else you guys wanted to talk about that we didn't get to talk about? So we were talking about like, before we got here, we're like, oh, what are some questions that we like might be asked? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and how can we think about that? <laughs> One of the conversations we had um, that I thought was like really fruitful in us articulating our thinking was like um, thinking about the relationship between intersectionalities of theory and black feminism. So most of the characters in the book are not of African descent. Um, and we are a multiracial group of authors. So one of the conversations we're having is thinking about like how intersectionality applies beyond black women. Um, and one of the one of the main things that we're hoping to show through the book is like conversations about intersectionality, like maybe the word didn't exist, but they've been happening for centuries um, in different parts of the world and in different communities. And oftentimes we talk about different realms of feminism as separate things and as separate contributions to the feminist landscape. But com these conversations were happening in indigenous feminism and queer feminism and third world feminism, transnational feminism and black feminism at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, and people, scholars were in conversation across those boundaries. That just isn't often the narrative that's told um, either in activism or in the academy. Uh, and I think it's a really fruitful, beautiful thing to think about allyship across difference and those discussions and dialogues that are happening across different boundaries. And we hope that intersectionalities does that. That's what we do in, in like our own relationships as CLC Collective. We're studying like very three, three very different communities um, that exist in different parts of the world. So that like that would be a thing that I think intersectionalized as a book CLC collective as a group like hopes to really bring to the feminist landscape awesome thank you all so much for doing this for being here for putting up with the trillion <laughs> microphones that we had to use and I'm just gonna show the book one more time for the video that is totally still recording even though we can't say it intersection allies we make room for all by Chelsea Latoya and Carolyn and with the forward by none other than dr. Kimberly Crenshaw it's the best children's book to come out in so long I'm so excited about it thank you for writing it thank you for being here yay thank you all